Fantastic. Um, during tonight's session, since we tend to be scattered with all these rows, I'm going to send these clipboards around again in case you didn't get them. I won't do my spleel again that I did this morning, but if you want to stay connected with our ministry, join our prayer team, help us share the news about our ministry, become financial supporters. There's all sorts of different ways to do that with those clipboards. Um, and we would love to stay in touch with you. Down at the bottom of your outlines, uh, you'll see some of the ways you can do that. You can see our website there, visionaryfam.com. Our Facebook page is a great way to stay personally connected with us at Visionary Family Ministries. If you're a Twitterite, you can follow us at Visionary Fam, and we would love to, that's one way also, to personally stay connected. One of the things, uh, I think it was Tom uh, shared this morning or yesterday, is that Gull Lake also runs kind of retreats and weekends like that. And one of the things that we do through our ministry is called the Visionary Family Weekend Away. And we are talking with Gull Lake about looking at some 2018 dates where we would do the Visionary Family Weekend Away. And what is the Visionary Family Weekend Away? It's think of family camp for the weekend, except the difference is all the teaching and worship sessions are with your kids. And so we do interactive, high-energy, family-based Bible teaching uh, during the weekend together. All right, and we may still farm them out for some fun and things like that and have the steak without them. I think that's so great. But um, I, just stay tuned. If you're on our email list or on Gull Lake's email list, you may, you may, see, that, um, you may see that coming. All right, this is um, our last time to, to uh, be teaching with you. We've loved being here this week. We've loved the chance to get to know some of you personally, build some friendships with you. I hope that uh, those last... We've got our work cut out for us tonight. Uh, we're going to be talking about visionary marriage, challenging on a couple of fronts. Normally, when we do our visionary marriage series, it's five hours of teaching, so we can take plenty of time and dig into things and talk personally and sensitively about stuff. Tonight, it's 40 minutes, so I'm doing my part in 20, and Amy's doing her part in 20-ish, and then we're going to end with a prayer time. Um, so that's one reason why it's challenging, but it's also challenging because as we talk about marriage, this is um, the, the most personal of the, the subjects we're going to be talking uh, about, and every single one of us in this room has had experience with um, pain and hurt and suffering in marriage. It may be our parents' marriage, maybe our marriage, uh, maybe a son or daughter's marriage. So this is something that we've all been, been touched with. Um, and I hope that that uh, sensitivity comes through in everything that we're, we're going to talk about. So my mission in 20 minutes is to do a crash course for husbands. Then Amy's going to come up and do a crash course for wives. But a quick introduction on, on what is marriage. You may remember my, my first time up here with you, I said, what's the purpose of family? If you don't know the purpose for something, the likelihood of you being successful with it's very slim. We've got to ask the same question about marriage. Why did God make marriage? What's the point? Marriage has a lot of theological purposes. It's a picture of Christ's love to the church. The unity of husband and wife is a picture of the Trinity, all these wonderful things. But functionally, God made marriage. Um, my clicker may not be happy. Do you need me back there? No? Or you may need to do it. Let me know if you need me. Going once. Ah, okay, very good. Oh, nice picture. That's the Alaska picture of you and me, sweet pea. All right, here we go. Two biblical missions of marriage. Why did God make marriage? Number one, God created marriage to spiritually transform husband and wife. Spiritually transform husband and wife. You've probably heard the marriage myth, you shouldn't try to change your spouse. Heard that before? Well, unless you marry Jesus, your spouse needs changing. Raise your hand if your spouse could deal with a little bit of changing. Put your hand down. I can't believe you raised your hand. All right, raise your hand if you think you need changing. Oh, there we go. Yeah, it's much better, Pastor Rob. Thank you. Um, yeah, God agrees. If you're a married man, God wants to change you. And his number one instrument to change you is her. If you're a married woman, God wants to change you, wants to make you more like Christ. And God's number one instrument to change you, ladies, is him. That's right. All right, and the second mission of marriage is raising godly children, that God brings you together for a great commission ministry. We've been talking a lot about that. Now, as soon as we start talking about God's mission for husbands, God's mission for wives, people kind of start freaking out with like roles for men, roles for women, and all of that. 
So right out of the gates, we need you to know that the Bible teaches in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and then throughout Scripture, that God created men and women with equal value, equal worth, equal dignity, equal importance, okay? Right from the very beginning. But he created us differently. Differently physically, obviously, uh, emotionally, even spiritually, because we've got different roles and purposes in the world that God wants us to do. So here's a couple of pictures that illustrate, perhaps, differences between men and women. The man has two basic modes of operation. There's the on mode and the blessed off mode. Moment of silence, men, for the off mode. Amen. And the woman's settings are more, help me. Involved. Involved. <laughs> that was a good one. Yes, complicated, mysterious, delicate, perhaps. All right, here's another perspective. The mission is to go to Gap and buy a pair of pants. <laughs> and you see it, the, the man there, six minutes, $33 later, mission accomplished. She never even goes to Gap. God, God made us differently. God made us differently. And lots of couples have tremendous struggles. Lots of couples have tremendous struggles if they don't understand what God's calling for men is and what God's calling for women is. One of the, uh, I was doing counseling with a couple. They had been married 20 years. They were having lots of struggles. They were having foundation issues in their marriage. And this was one of them. They didn't have any kind of vision for biblical manhood or biblical womanhood. And so one of the illustrations that I, I have used to try to get that conversation going is to say, okay, well, I'll do it for you. Uh, you're laying in bed at night, and uh, a window breaks on the other side of the house. Heavy footsteps are walking toward the baby's room. Mm -hmm. Could you please point to the spouse whose job it is to get the bat or the gun and go out and deal with this? Go ahead and do a little point for me. You can point yourself if you want to. Hey, all right, you, you, did, you did pretty good here. A bunch of guys, I thought you're kind of like, yeah, it's my job. And the ladies, at least the ones that I can see, were like, you know, if somebody's going to die, that's a boy job. That's a boy job. Um, yeah, that's him, pretty much. And, and you'd be right that, that, that one of the jobs God gave men is to protect women and children in the face of danger. That would be a role, a biblical role for men. In this particular meeting, I threw out that little illustration, expecting the frequent answer that I would get from Christian couples. This woman sits up straight in her seat, and she says, that's my job. I'm going to take care of that. Guy puts his head in his hands, starts crying. His wife had just, like, emasculated him, like robbed him of basic boy job, right, protecting women and children in the face of danger. All right, men, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 is probably the keynote chapter in the Bible on marriage. Um, God gives husbands, by the way, you're in, you're in your outlines there. You should be, like, I think it's session three. We sort of jumbled things around. But if you look in your outline pack, you will find a simple outline for tonight that you can track along on. But in these two verses, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 and 26, God gives husbands their job description. God gives husbands their role. By the way, none of the roles we're talking about is like who pays the bills and who mows the lawn, not, not that stuff, as you'll see in just a minute. So here's God's mission for husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Let's go back and unpack it. Men, what is the first item on our job description? Love. Husbands, love your wives. We're like, all right, God. And by the way, you're writing that down, guys, right? You've been taking copious notes all week to review with your wives later in the day. So you're going to write in love on that first, <laughs> that first line. Thank you for laughing at that. All right. Well, what does that mean? Well, there's a chapter in the Bible that helps unpack what that means. What does it mean for a man to love a woman? What chapter in the Bible would help us there? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. All right, God, do you want me to love this woman? What's that mean? God's like, I'm glad you asked. Here's what it means. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. 
It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. So, when it comes to Amy, I am patient. I am kind. I don't envy. I don't boast. I'm not proud. I'm not rude. I don't seek what I want. I don't get angry easily. I don't keep a record of the wrong things she's done. I don't delight in evil, but I rejoice with the truth. I always protect. I always trust. I always hope. And I never tire of doing any of these things. That, that was my mother. Unbelievable. The rest of you were, I mean, you, you could sense right where, where I was going. You're like, oh, no, Rob, that's probably not you. She thinks, Mom. Uh, but okay. Is that a true and accurate statement of how I love Amy every day? No, obviously not. But is that God's holy and righteous command for me? Absolutely. Have you ever read the Bible and felt like you see the holy and righteous command of God, holy and righteous command of God. Have you ever feel like God is putting a high jump bar a hundred feet off the ground and commanding you to jump over it? You ever had that sinking feeling in your gut? There's two things you can do. One is the very popular thing. Look up at the hundred foot high jump bar, the holy and righteous command of God and say, oh, I don't think that's what God meant to say. The Bible's written a long time ago. If the Bible was written today, he would say, husbands, you know, treat her decent and whatnot. And, uh, you know, provide and stuff, and like, don't blow up the family too bad. Like that, you know, and that's like three feet, all right? And I can flop over that. That's what most people do with the Bible. What you're supposed to do with the 100-foot high jump bar, in fact, the New Testament says the law is a teacher to bring you to Jesus. You're supposed to look up at the 100-foot high jump bar, and guys, you're supposed to look at this commandment and say, God, I don't have it in me. I can't get over this bar. I can't love my wife the way you command me to. But I know someone who can get over the bar. And that is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The life I do live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So here's my marriage plan today. Jesus, you have to supernaturally live your life through me. Because if you don't do that, if I'm left to my good intentions and willpower, I'm gonna jump about three feet high trying to get over this 100-foot high jump bar. So guys, the first part of our job description, and in fact, all three, if it doesn't drive us to our knees with dependence and neediness, we can guarantee falling short every day. All right, remember, five hours and 40 minutes. I gotta move fast. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The Bible says that Jesus did not come to be served but to serve and to lay his life down as a ransom for many. So men, number one is love. Number two is serve. You were taking notes. Love and serve. Guys, when we're talking about serving our wives, we're probably not talking about this guy here. Yeah. Now, I don't know... Listen, it's just a picture, and I don't know the backstory. So maybe he's carried the sticks for 20 miles. He needs the nutrient of the cigarette to continue. We don't know. It's not looking good. All right, let me show you a, a better picture. This is a video, video of a guy named Robertson McQuilkin. Robertson McQuilkin was the president of uh, Columbia Bible College for many years, and his wife um, developed dementia, which prompted his retirement to care for her. And this is a portion of his retirement speech. I'm going to need some video volume. Please, tech master guru man. Here we go. I haven't in my life experienced easy decision-making on major decisions, but uh, one of the simplest and clearest decisions I've had to make is this one, because circumstances dictated it. Uh, Muriel, now, uh, in the last couple of months, seems to be almost happy when with me and almost never happy when not with me. In fact, she seems to feel trapped, becomes very fearful, sometimes almost terror, 
And when she can't get to me, there can be anger. She's in distress. But when I'm with her, she's happy and contented. And so I must be with her at all times. And you see, it's not only that I promised in sickness and in health, till death do us part. And I'm a man of my word. But as I have said, I don't know with this group, but I've said publicly, it's the only fair thing she sacrificed for me for 40 years to make my life possible. So, if I cared for her for 40 years, I'd still be in debt. However, there's much more. It's not that I have to, it's that I get to. I love her very dearly, and you can tell it's not easy to talk about. She's a delight. It's a great honor to care for such a wonderful person. Tell me words you'd use to uh, describe Mr. McQuilkin here. Loyal, honorable, faithful, selfless. One of the words for me is manly, masculine. It's a man's man, behaving like a man, doing what a man ought to do. In this case, serving, laying his life down for his wife. All right, men, item number one in the job description is love. Number two? Serve. All right, back to our text. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Mission number three, men, is lead. Love, serve, lead. What's the point of loving a wife? What's the point of serving a wife? What was the, I did a crash course on this. What was the first mission of marriage? Anybody remember? Spiritual transformation. What's the ultimate purpose of the husband? Spiritual transformation of the wife. He does that by loving and serving and leading. Now, in my marriage with Amy, um, this is the place that I start to feel incredibly insecure because um, in a lot of ways, Amy's just a more spiritually mature person than me. She's a more godly person than me. So if she's like farther down the path of faith, how am I supposed to be the spiritual leader for someone who's farther down the path. You guys know what I'm talking about? So we can do one of two things. We can say, well, that's really not what God meant to say. What God meant to say is, hey, if you married a spiritual energizer bunny and you're riding her coattails, man, settle in and let her go, baby. Okay? <laughs> that's, you know, if the Bible were written today, that's probably, probably what, what it would be. Um, but, but, but that's not what we've got here. So here again, this drives us to our knees. God, I, I didn't have a dad that was a spiritual leader for, for my mom. I, I didn't know what that looked like. I feel very insecure and inadequate doing this, but, but I, I'm crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus, you can be a spiritual leader in my marriage, so I'm going to hide in you, and, and you're going to have to do it. But, but methodologically, well, come on, Rob, what, what, how... If I wanted to be a spiritual leader and I, I resonate with the insecurity, what, what, what would I do? Well, here God gives us some, some methodology, gives us some practice. Cleansing her by, there's the method word, the washing with water through the word. Now, the washing with water thing is just an illustration. Right? It's not like baptize your wife every day type of thing. It's an illustration of spiritual cleansing. And what is the tool that does the spiritual cleansing in our hearts? The word. So making this real simple, one of the ways that the husband provides spiritual leadership in the marriage is by bringing the Bible into the marriage and reading the Bible with his wife. Okay, That's one of the essential building blocks to a man being a spiritual leader in the marriage. Let me do a quick survey with you guys. How many of you guys would say that... Um, Husband and wife, like reading the Bible together, uh, you think it's important? Raise your hand for me if you're like, yeah, I think it's probably pretty important. All right, raise your hand if you think God wants you to do it. You actually have to raise your hand because it's on the screen there. It's Ephesians 5.26. Raise your hand if reading the Bible with your wife's easy to do. Oh, okay, I got a couple. All right, very good. Um, here's what's required to do this. You have to be able to read. Oh, wait, hey, actually, no. They've got those apps. And if you push the play button on your Bible app, some other dude reads it. So even if you're illiterate, you could just push play and somebody else could read it. And you also need a minute or five. 
to read a parable, a psalm, a proverb. Maybe two lines, okay, a proverb. So all you gotta do is be able to read or have the app, and you gotta have a minute, two or five. So let me re-ask the question. How many of you would say reading the Bible with your wife's easy to do? It's easy to do it. Now how many of you struggle reading the Bible with your wife? Wow, all right, let's review. So here's what you said to me. Rob, reading the Bible with my wife is very important. God wants me to do it. And, and now that you explain it, I guess it's really easy. And, and we don't do that. That's what the feedback was from you guys. That, this makes no sense. This is important. God wants you to do it. It's really easy. It takes 60 seconds or five minutes, and we don't do it. The reason that why this makes no sense is that you're missing something in the equation. This is important. God wants you to do it. It's easy to do. Satan and the demons are going to throw everything at you to prevent you from doing this because they can't afford to have you open that book together because what's going to happen if you open that book together? And you read it with a believing heart. It's living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, penetrating soul and spirit, joint and marrow, judging the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. The Holy Spirit's going to use his word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You're going to have more faith. The Holy Spirit's going to strengthen your heart, renew your mind. The Holy Spirit's going to supernaturally enable you to be the husband that you're not and the wife that you're not. So they got to keep you as far away from the book as possible. Now, the other basic practice of spiritual leadership, and we can look at other passages on this, but the other basic practice for husbands that want to be spiritual leaders is prayer, okay? Prayer. Have you ever heard of two crazier things than pray and read your Bible? Like those are the grand challenges. Now, for the first 13 years of our marriage, Amy and I hardly ever prayed together. Um, I was a pastor at church, and um, there are some other, where are the pastors in the room? I know there's a few of you. I met you this week. Yes, sir, very good. And, uh, you know, we, we, um, we're in prayer meetings all day. It's what we do. We're very spiritual. And we're, we're kind of prayed out, you know, by the time we, we get home. But really, 13 years of marriage and very, very little, um, very, very little prayer other than, you know, meals and emergencies and, and, um, and things like that. And in 2007, God really worked a miracle in my heart and turned my heart to the ministry of, of my wife. Uh, and the first thing that came from that heart change in me was, you know, praying together, you know, each night uh, before bed. Um, so let me just do my little survey again for you. How many of you guys would say praying with your wife is important to do? How many of you would say God wants you to pray together? How many of you would say praying together is easy to do? Now you're like, no, no. Listen, it takes five seconds, ten seconds. God, please help our family, bless our marriage, Amen. That's a prayer. That's a needy prayer. It's a three-second long prayer. Right now, you can do an hour-long prayer meeting, right? Or you can start with a three-second prayer meeting. So it's really easy to do. And then, guys, raise your hand if you struggle praying faithfully with your wife. Yeah, whoa, okay, so back up. This is important. God wants you to do it. Really easy to do. You can have an hour prayer meeting, or you could pray in five seconds. You could pray in a minute, and, and we don't pray much. What are we missing in the ingredient, or in the, the formula? Spiritual attack. Satan and the demons cannot afford to have you humble your hearts together in prayer. Cannot afford to have you ask God for help in your marriage. If you humble yourselves and ask God for help in your marriage, what's God going to do? Hello? Help you. You're not talking to the wall. Amy and I, well, we've lost track of a number of times this uh, has, has happened. Most recently, I think back in family camp back in, in Texas was the last one that comes to mind. We are um, not doing well. We are having a rough day. We are in the middle of a conflict that is not budging. And one person says, I think we should pray. <laughs> Fine, let's pray. <laughs> you go over, because the last thing in the world you want to do, isn't it? You go over and you hold hands like a cold, dead fish. <laughs> and, and literally, three words in, I've lost track of the number of times, God, help us. Holy Spirit rushes in, softens my heart to her. For the last half hour, I've been you, 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 and now all of a sudden it's me, 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 me. And for the last half hour, she's been you, 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 and now all of a sudden it's her, 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 her. We're so, um, again, needy and, and desperate for the power of God to make us the husbands that we're not, make us the uh, wives 
that we're not. And I'm going to, Amy's going to come up here, but I'm going to give, um, give you guys a little, we got to have the ladies leave the room, figuratively speaking, just tune out, ladies. Check Pinterest or something. Um, <laughs> so, guys, just real quick. When I pray for Amy at night, um, some guys will say, well, when you pray at night, what do you pray? Uh, I'll usually give some thanks for the day. Um, I'll try to pray something specific for Amy, something about maybe tomorrow. I know that she's got big decisions she's got to make tomorrow. Lord, please give her wisdom for what uh, she's facing tomorrow. Um, I did, I stumbled on a prayer, didn't mean to do it, just kind of came out one night. Um, and the prayer was this, God, reward Amy for being such a faithful wife and mother. Just kind of came out, and she really liked that one. And I don't know why she liked it so much, but I, I'm like, what, you seem to like that. She's like, oh yeah, I like that. So, so I just started praying that one. So guys, you, you got it? Reward, now don't say Amy. You gotta put your own, <laughs> that can go badly. Unless over here, you can, you've got an Amy there, right? There may be others. So you just, just lock in there, okay? Um, and I know some of you guys are like, well, well, let's say I go try that, you know, well, she's gonna know that I just prayed that because you're the one you told me to pray it and I'm not gonna get points. <laughs> Listen, I can assure you, you will get full credit for this. Ladies, would you be willing to give your husband full credit if he bumbled a prayer like that? Raise your hand if you'll give him full credit. All right, see, universal full credit for you if, he'll, if you're, you're willing to try. All right, uh, Amy's gonna come up right now. Honey, I have a microphone for you and I think it works. Um, and guys, you can relax. It's your wife's turn on the hot seat um, with my dear wife, and then I'm going to come up and, and wrap us up with a prayer time when I am going to run your slides for you. I'll be tech support, okay? You got this? Yeah. All right. Thank you um, for having us. We've had a great week here. Um, when I was at this last family camp um, in Texas, the Lord really, I, well, I had two days where my kids were sick starting off the camp, so I just had some unusual downtime, and the Lord led me to this passage, and I want to um, read it for you. It's from Amos 8. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. And the, reading, the reason that that was so meaningful for me at the time of that camp is that what I'm about to share today um, at one point was actually in like public school books in the 1950s. Many things about what I'm going to share today. And now it's not even taught in most churches or even most Christian colleges. So it's not unusual that um, we get a lot of spiritual attack as a couple when we come speak on marriage because there is a shortage of the word of the Lord when it comes to marriage and specifically when it comes to words for wives. Um, so let me just jump in um, with... I'm going to give you also three major roles for um, the wife in marriage. And the first is of a helper. Um, in Genesis 2.18, it, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone, and I will make him a helper fit for him. When we hear that word helper as a woman, it's not exactly a word that anybody really wants to be identified as. But the first thing um, I just want to bring to your attention is that the word that is used in the scripture for helper, um, which is ezer, E-Z-E-R, is the same word um, that, the, that is used to describe the Holy Spirit. And we don't think of the Holy Spirit as someone that is less significant or less important when we think of God. But that is the same word that is used when um, God is creating woman. And in Genesis, we see the creation of woman and also the creation of the institution of marriage, which also I think is a very important distinction because I, this is not saying that all women are helpers for all men. That's not what this passage is about. It's about um, in the context of marriage, a woman is a helper for her husband. 
Now, when I say the word um, helper is the same word as Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean, ladies, that we are the Holy Spirit for our husband. I don't know how many of you have tried that. It doesn't go so well, at least not in my house. Um, but I think when God, this was really helpful for me to grow into an understanding of this term of being a helper for my husband. And one of the things that was just really a blessing for me is when I learned to understand that I am a helper for him in both my weaknesses and in my strengths. And let me give you an example of that. When we, um, Rob and I tend to be sort of slobs, to be honest, okay? So when we got married, if there was like a scale of messiness, I think he might have been, you know, like a 10 being messiest, and I might have been like really high at like an 8, you know? I mean, it wasn't good. And I can remember being married for the first few weeks and just looking around being like, okay, someone has got to pick up the slack around here, and it isn't going to be him. So, you know, I was just like on this mission. I realized how much I needed to change. And um, I remember we had this friend, a couple, that they were just the opposite. Every single part of their life was orderly. And we were out to dinner with them, and the husband, Mark, pulled out his wallet and even his wallet was just like every bill crisp and laying the same way and I'm like oh my goodness how do you do this and I said to him Mark if one of us was like that we would have a fighting chance and he looked at me and he said no you wouldn't because you would be driving each other crazy so even in my weakness God made me the type of helper for Rob that we could lift us up out of that together the other thing is in our areas of strength. I was the kind of person that um, kind of had tons of energy, like always could be in a lot of activities, keep a lot of plates going. You know, that was just, I did not, you know, that was just who I was. I did not think I could meet anybody with more energy and that could do more in a day. And then I married Rob. And he has even more energy. But God made me with just enough energy to keep up with him but not enough, not enough of that energy that I am the one that puts the brakes on for the family. I am the one that says, wait, this is going, too much is happening right now. Right now we have got to slow this down. So both in my strengths and in my weaknesses, God has made me a helper fit for my husband. I want to show you a quick video about this. I love marriage. Marriage, yeah, it's awesome. It's so beneficial. So many benefits for a guy when you get married. <laughs> like when you get married, you're a guy, you get a little helper in the car. <laughs> I love my little helper in the car. She knows everything about driving. It's very convenient for me. <laughs> but sometimes I get confused. See, I don't know how I get anywhere without my helper in the car. I'd probably be bouncing off trees and buildings and stuff, but she's there to help. Like, she tells me when the light changes colors and everything. It's very convenient and helpful. <laughs> like, it's green. Thank you, Albert. Because I was confused. I didn't know. Thanks, Captain Prism. She's very helpful in the car for me. I always know how fast I'm going with my help. She lets me know. You know how fast you're going? Yeah, I got a speedometer right here, but thanks for the backup. That thing ever snaps in half, I got you to back me up. When you see old guys driving 35 on the freeway, it's not because they want to, they've been trained to, for crying out loud. Their foot has been governed by a woman. You ever see like, oh, I want to go faster. I just don't think I should. I just feel like something horrible is going to happen if I go any lower. Going to get an ice pick in my ear hole or something bad's going to happen, Roy. That is a great illustration, but um, I really can be that bad sometimes, to be honest. But um, I play that because I, this is the one point I want to talk to men for a little bit. If you are married, do you know that God decided you needed a helper? And the question I have for you is, have you agreed with him on that? 
Because one of the most frustrating things for a woman, a woman is to help someone who doesn't want to receive any help. And um, when you reject the help from your wife, you're actually rejecting God's provision for you. And I would say when Rob ended on um, leading for wives, it's very hard. Your husband is supposed to lead, and sometimes the hardest thing for a wife to do is actually follow, correct? And for men, your wives are supposed to help you, and one of the hardest things for a man to do is to receive help. So neither of us come out this great, very great in this uh, equation, but um, I'd like you men just to think about that. The next role um, comes uh, for wives is the word, well, role or job is submission, and it's kind of the dreaded word, but um, and it's also from Ephesians 5, where it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, the, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to ev- in everything to their husbands. Now, throughout Christian history, that passage has been very understood. Now, maybe a lot of people didn't like it, but they didn't have arguments whether or not that passage was saying that wives should submit to their husbands. But in recent times now, um, I can distinctly remember being in graduate school um, at a Christian college and getting my degree in counseling, and they were very much teaching, you know, we have misunderstood this all along. That's not really what this passage means. And they would go to the verse right before Ephesians and talk about mutual submission And basically what has happened is that this passage has become extremely watered down, and there's just a lot of teaching out there that this is really not what was meant by the passage. However, um, that is what it says. (laughs) Wives are supposed to submit to their husbands in everything. And I can't tell you the amount of times that I would have loved to take a Sharpie and just cross out that word, in everything. You know what I mean? That would just might like, I don't mind some submission, but that in everything would really kind of get to me. Um, but let me go back to that helper situation, a helper role first again. You know, it does not benefit the husband to have the wife submit to him in a bunch of areas that he knows nothing about. And so in our home and in our marriage, we definitely practice um, a pattern of mutual submission and deferring to the other person Um, in areas where I have more expertise versus areas where Rob has more expertise. One funny story in that area is um, ironing. I don't iron. I don't like to iron. I avoid ironing like the plague. Rob likes things pressed. He irons very well. When we were engaged, he asked me to iron a pair of pants, and I ironed it for him and put him back on the hanger, and he was getting ready to go, and he's like, oh, I thought you were going to iron my pants. And I was like, I did. <laughs> I guess it didn't pass your standard, but that's my ironing. <laughs> you saw it right there. Um, and one time he was out of town, I had the ironing board out, and I was ironing something in the middle of the room, and Lainey, who was four at the time, walked in and said, Mommy, what are you doing? That is a daddy job. And I was like, I know, a momentary lapse of judgment. What was I thinking? But um, so we do, in the day-to-day, practice this pattern of... of um, you know, deferring to one another and submitting to the other person when they have more expertise. So what does it mean, this overall submit um, in everything as a wife in marriage? And the best um, way that this was, that I began to understand this was through an illustration. I'd like you to think about an airplane. And there is both the pilot and the co-pilot. And God created the wife to be the co-pilot. Now, the co-pilot can do everything that the pilot can do, correct? From the co-pilot position, she can, the, pilot, the co-pilot can run the plane and we can land the plane. She, she can do everything. However, when the pilot comes on board, he needs to sit in the pilot's chair because there can only be one pilot. And the way that works in my house is like, you know, my husband travels a lot and I I'm in that co-pilot position, and I have to run the whole show, you know? And when he comes back in, I'm often like, oh, I really don't want to. I'd like to just move over to this pilot chair. You know, I'd like, I don't like the co-pilot spot anymore. 
But the reality is every time I jump and try to get to that pilot spot, he doesn't go sit in the co-pilot chair. He's back in the cabin with the kids. Because God didn't design him to be the co-pilot. God designed him to be the pilot. And there really can only be one pilot, and that's how God designed marriage. There's one leader in marriage. And that is what um, that overall submission in everything looks like. Um, and this really, it's interesting to me because we can understand that in that example. We can understand in the pilot that there has to be one person who makes the final decision, but it's harder for us to accept that in God's plan for marriage. Um, the final um, role of the wife is um, respect. In um, Ephesians 5.33, it says, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, I also, you have the, do you have the King James up there for me? This is an example where I like the King James version. Version. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. I really like that word reverence because um, respect is something that we need to have for everyone. You want to train your children, right, to respect their elders, respect their teachers, respect the people that they come in contact with. So I feel like I need to have respect for all people. And then on the, on the extreme side of respect, we'd have the word worship, right? And worship is only for God, correct? If there are marriages where a wife is worshiping her husband, that's a big problem. Because worship is just for God alone. And I like this word reverence because it gives me this special little place of that there should be a spot in my heart for special respect towards my husband that it is unique to him. Um, and the thing is, is that this is where the spiritual battle is going to take place. Because you see, if you can reverence your husband, then submitting and helping come easily. But when we have that battle with reverencing our husband, if we can't do that, then submitting and helping is almost impossible. Um, and the thought life really is the battlefield here. Because I have learned that you can control your tongue long before you can control your thought. But eventually, out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. You won't be able to hide that messy thought life forever. So it's not just in words that we want to reverence our husband, but it's in our thoughts, too. Um, I'd like you um, to take a minute and to think of your sons and your daughters, because this is the area in my home where it really comes back to me. Like I, you know, the fifth commandment, teaching your children to honor you, is just a bedrock commandment for a happy home. You need to teach your children to honor you. And yet I have seen, I've been so convicted at times of the way that I speak to my husband when I hear my tone come back at me from my children. And what I correct them for in the way they speak to me, I can turn around and speak in that tone towards my husband. And that is not reverencing him. So ways to show special respect, you, it depends on, you know, any, you could come up with a lot of different things. But for me, it's thinking about serving him first or making sure there's special his special drinks are in the house. But most, the thing that probably hits me the hardest and the hardest for me to do is there are times when I need to prioritize his needs even when it is painful and hard for me to do over, for example, the children. Let me just share with you a um, missionary story that, I, that impacted me um, from a woman. Her name was Elise Arndt. And she was a missionary in, a, in the remote Philippines. And she had uh, four small children, and her husband became violently ill and needed to be taken to the main island. And there were other missionaries on the island, but um, she uh, wasn't able. They were going to be able to meet her at a place to take her kids, but they weren't going to be able to meet her in time before the medical um, helicopter came to get 
her husband. So she had a choice to make. She had to choose, was she going to go with her husband, who was in a life-threatening situation, or she was going to stay with her kids until the other missionaries got there um, to take her kids. And she writes in her book, in her biography, that it was at that moment the Lord really put on her this choice, that she felt that she had to go with her husband, that she had to choose him in this moment, and she had to trust that God was going to take care and bring those missionaries to take to watch her kids. And when I read that story, I was like, okay, I could never, never do that. Like, I would just not be able to do that. I mean, I had four little kids myself, and I was like, there is no way I'm leaving them on a hill in a jungle in Philippines waiting for missionaries. I'm like, are you kidding me? But, you know, thankfully, God has not given me that decision. <laughs> and I've not been in that situation. But that story has always stuck with me because there are times when um, the Lord does want me to make a sacrifice and put my husband first, even if it might be something that I would think is painful to the kids or hard for them. But that's just another example of the need to reverence your husband first, that he deserves this special place of respect. And one more thing is that the opposite of reverence, I have found, is a critical judgmental spirit. And I think, ladies, this is something that we just can really get trapped in and struggle with. The problem with that critical judgmental spirit if it starts in your thoughts, it may creep into your language. But the thing about that critical judgmental spirit, if that is towards your husband, the deception of the enemy is that it's going to stop there. And what I have witnessed and seen is that that is the most toxic thing. And if you feed that critical judgmental spirit, it will not stop just towards your husband. It will grow and multiply and you will see it in your children, and you will experience the pain of that in many other areas of your life. And that is why God um, calls us ladies to reverence our husband, keep him in that spot of special respect in our hearts. Um, but I realize what I'm saying is not an easy thing to do, and it's not an easy thing for me. And just like Rob talked about that spiritual attack that occurs, that is the spiritual attack that is against us ladies because it is not in our nature to do this, is it? So I just want to share with you um, a scripture that my mom shared with me and has been praying with me um, just to realize that, you know, we are battling an enemy for our marriages. That our battle is not against flesh and blood. And um, this is something that I've just been meditating on. It's from Isaiah it says, fear not, for I am with you, and be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded, and those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. You shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. Those who war against you shall be as nothing at all, for I, the Lord your God, Hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. We can't do this on our own, ladies. So I am just reminded on a regular basis that God has to be my strength, and I have to go to him because um, we are in a battle for our marriages and for our families to um, live our marriage according to God's plan. Thank you. Thanks, Amy. Why they applaud for you and not me, I don't understand. But thank you. Yeah, it's worthy of it, right? Listen, let me, let me wrap up our time going off what Amy just finished with, and then we're going to move into a little bit of a conclusion um, prayer time here. <clears throat> kind of bumbling this, this part. I hope I say it um, right. All of the things we've talked with you about this week, this Christian vision for family life, multi-generational vision, Christian marriage. Um, we're bumbling and stumbling toward this, this biblical vision. And we're bumbling, stumbling with 
See, the, the, the Holy Spirit of God, this is the part that I want to say right, the Holy Spirit of God is resident in my heart. The creator of the universe, his spirit lives in me. You'd be like, whoa, that's very arrogant. It is, I don't mean it arrogantly. I mean, God, the grace of God worked in my life. I repented of my sins. I trusted Jesus. And so the Bible says that God then puts his Holy Spirit in my heart to make me more like Christ. So please don't hear it as arrogant. It's just true. Okay, Raise your hand if the Holy Spirit lives in you. All right, you're not raising your hand. Well, yes, he does. You're like, praise God, right? He does. It's just the way it is. So the Holy Spirit of God lives in me. The Holy Spirit of God lives in Amy. And with the Holy Spirit of God in our hearts, practicing the things we've talked about this week is excruciatingly difficult. You got that? With the Holy Spirit of God. Some of you are here, and you may not have the Holy Spirit of God in your heart because you have never personally repented of your sins and trusted Christ as Savior. You, you may, people might think you're a Christian because you, you come to Christian camp or, or you maybe attend a church or you wrap yourself with some Christian-y sorts of things, but you've never humbled yourself before God like our scripture verse for this week. You've never cried out to him in faith for salvation. And, and it may be God brought you to Gull Lake this week, not first and foremost to strengthen your family or to strengthen your family relationships. That may not be the most urgent relationship he's concerned about. The most urgent relationship he's concerned about is your relationship with him. What, what I'd like to do, I, I don't think there's any better way to um, take our last few minutes together than to spend some time in, in urgent prayer. Um, urgent prayer for our families. Urgent prayer for family relationships. I'm going to ask my mom and Jack and Amy, if you guys can come up here, I'm going to be here. Um, I'm going to lead us in a few... Um, focused areas of prayer. You are welcome to pray right where you are. You are welcome to whisper pray with the people next to you. But you might, sometimes we just need to pray with somebody or we need someone to pray for us. So we're gonna have four prayers, actually three prayer stations plus me up here. Uh, if you want somebody else to pray with you, just come on up. Um, Amy would love to pray with you. Jack would love to pray with you. Uh, my mom would love um, to pray with you. So let's... Um, Bow our heads, close our eyes. Again, you feel free to pray right where you are, or if one of these prayer areas, you're like, oh, I need someone to pray with me, then you just come up and, and pray with Amy or Mom or Jack. But this first area of prayer has to do with marriage. There may be a marriage in your life. Could be your parents' marriage, could be a sibling's marriage, could be a child's marriage, could be your marriage. But that marriage needs a miracle. It just needs a miracle to transform it, to heal it, to strengthen it, to save it. Would you ask God, would you go to the throne of grace right now and ask God for that miracle? He's listening to you. Ask God to save that marriage that's in trouble right now. Some of you are here and you've got a prodigal family member. You've got a family member far from God. Could be a parent. Could be a son or daughter. Could be a brother or sister. And that prodigal needs a miracle for that prodigal to come home. The Holy Spirit of God has to reach out into that dark place where that boy or girl or man or woman is right now to turn their heart to him, bring them, give them godly sorrow, give them faith in Christ, restore them to your family. Would you pray for God, even right now tonight, God could listen to your prayer for that prodigal right now and reach out to their heart as you pray. Would you lift that prodigal up to the Lord right now? We've been talking a lot this week about being spiritual leaders for our children. Some of you, your action prayer tonight might be to repent and just to confess to God, God, I have not been a spiritual leader for my kids. I have not been a spiritual leader for my grandkids. I've been focused on their school and their sports and their friends 
and all the things of this world. And God, you used your scriptures this week to turn my heart to the ministry of my family. If that's you, you just go to God, just repent, agree with him, tell him, God, I've fallen short. I haven't been the spiritual leader in my family and I believe you brought me to Gull Lake this week to help me start bumbling and stumbling forward. Whisper that prayer to God right now so someone can hear you or come up and ask our family to pray for you. Others of you, your urgent prayer is what I talked about just a few moments ago. Your urgent prayer is to repent of your sins and trust Jesus to save your soul. He's never turned anyone away who's humbled themselves before him and put their full faith and trust in Jesus. Some people might say, so that's it, I just, I just humble myself before God, I throw myself on his mercy, I, I trust Jesus and I'm forgiven and saved. Do you have a better idea? You have something else you can do? Polish yourself up so God finally likes you? Throw yourself at his mercy. Trust his son who is sent to save you for your sins. Two more areas of prayer. This one has to do with that sibling relationship. You may be here and you just have a, a struggling, hurting relationship with a sibling. And you need God to change it. You need God to do something special and, and break through maybe 5, 10, 15, 50 years of walls and hurt and resentment and distance. You, you just need a miracle. Ask God to do it. He's listening to you. Maybe pray for that sibling who's hurt you. Pray right where you are. You can come up and ask for prayer too. And then this final area, if God has, has worked in your life this week, and you're here tonight with just the simple heart's desire that you want your family to follow God. That's it. God, I just want my family to follow you. I want the future generations of my family to follow you with all of our mess and all of our brokenness. If that's your prayer and the desire of your heart, I'd invite you just to stand up. Just to stand up and say, I want our family to follow God with all of our mess and the shambles that we're in. There's no pressure here. This is not a peer pressure thing. This is just humbling ourselves before the Lord because he cares about us. Heavenly Father, all around the room, um, people are standing just to say to you that they want their families to follow you. They want their families to please you. And as we've said so many times this week, we are so needy. We are so desperate for the power of your Holy Spirit to make us the men were not, the husbands were not, the fathers were not, the women were not, the wives were not, the mothers were not, the grandfathers, the grandmothers that, that were not. We need a supernatural act of God to transform our families. And then Lord, just my final prayer. We've been talking a lot about our kids. We're here with our kids. We're here with our grandkids. I wanna pray for the sons and the daughters and the grandsons and the granddaughters that are represented by the people in this room. I want to pray Psalm 78 for unborn great-grandbabies and unborn great-great-grandbabies. I want to pray that every single one of them, through the mercy and grace of God, would repent of their sins and trust Christ for salvation. I want to pray that every single one of them would live in such a way as to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ to the remote parts of this earth. And then, Lord, that you would work this incredible miracle of bringing us all safely home where we can worship the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
where we can finally have relationships with each other without sin. With you at the center. We know we can pray these things because this is the good work that you are accomplishing. This is the good work that you promised to accomplish. That the good work that you began in us, you're going to carry on to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. And we put our faith in what you've done and what you promised that you will do. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.